The details of this story have become sadly familiar, shockingly unshocking. It contains the usual lurid details, an older man exploiting his power over younger women, younger women confusing lust for mentorship, self-esteem shattered, dreams caved, and innocence giving way to a lifetime of self-doubt and PTSD. But this story varies from the usual patterns. Here, the predator doesn't continue to get away with victimizing freely without a trace of pain or guilt. In fact, it's that one story in a million that actually brings some satisfaction to the victims of an unfair power balance as old as time itself. This is a story where women fight back. It's a story that's pure, unrefined tabloid fodder of vigilantes and vengeance replete with revenge, torture, table-turning, surreptitious recordings, and dime-store story-plotting. Old-school, grabby, man-spreading men? You've been warned. Our story is called The Trident, a tale told in five episodes about three savvy and very different young women, fast friends, striving to make it big in New York. You'll hear about Howard, the older authority figure who used their ambition and dreams as bait to lure them in to satisfy his own lust for power. And you'll hear the wild saga of how they fought back, not only to regain their power, but to level the playing field by humiliating and shaming the predator, who thought he could take from these women what was not his to take. Again, a trigger warning. While we have deliberately kept the lure details of any abuse to a very minimum, the story isn't suitable for children and could be upsetting to victims of trauma. Also, please note that some names of people and companies have been changed. I'm Natalie Burnish, and this is Pod Act 1. The Trident. Even if your vocabulary isn't given to such words, Mary Davidson can only be described as statuesque. At six foot one, she's strikingly gorgeous and stood out like a sore thumb in her hometown of Lafayette, Louisiana. Her southern twang belies her elegance, intelligence, and sophistication. I've been told my whole life how pretty I was. You should be a model. You should be an actress. You're so tall. But that wasn't how I wanted to make my mark. I wanted to be a writer. I, I am a writer. A, a good one. I wanted to drink the city up, devour it. Where I grew up, there was plenty of certainty, but a shortage of knowledge. I wanted to earn my power. But Mary will be the first to admit that being tall and beautiful does open doors. Within two weeks of arriving in the city, Mary had a job at a major lifestyle website. The name is one you've definitely heard of, a typical quirky website name, Monkey Teeth. We all know that when a website becomes a verb, it's arrived. People get Googled, thoughts are tweeted, and now, if you want to see if something's cool, it needs to be Monkey Teethed. The Monkey Teeth URL had been purchased by Howard Black, a struggling chiropractor. Howard fancied himself a swing-for-the-fences entrepreneur, but had made nothing but bad bets his whole life. 
Monkey Teeth is a mix of pop culture, fashion, fan fiction, and its approval can make or break just about anything or anyone. That's something you won't hear the website CEO Howard Black deny. We're more of a movement than a website. Think of it like this. Life is an ocean. We're the current. Howard's attempt at launching Monkey Teeth would have been another miserable failure if he hadn't met Silicon Valley giant Jacqueline Marks. Industry insiders tell me the brains behind the operation is Black's wife, Jacqueline Marks, whose temperament is known to be more of a hurricane than a current. Her previous launches of household websites like The Fix and Timestamp have earned her accolades and most likely billions. Who knows what monkey Jacqueline had made a fortune as a content guru at several successful internet startups. She possessed an almost supernatural knack for predicting trends and staying two steps ahead of the internet's ever-changing and fickle landscape. She was the brains behind Monkey Teeth, and her unmatched tech and social savvy quickly turned Monkey Teeth into a cultural magnet, not just flagging trends, but creating them. Howard cracked Jacqueline's chronically sore back and also managed to somehow crack the ice-cold personality she was known for in the upper echelons of the tech world. After a whirlwind courtship, the two married and merged not only their lives, but also ownership and control of monkey teeth. It became the go-to destination for molding and bending opinions on stars, movies, politicians, the site attracted the best writers, hippest editors, and a who's who of influencers and trend makers. Monkey Teeth also drew advertisers like a cyber black hole and relentless courtship from the seemingly endless stream of tech giants, venture capitalists, and billionaires hungry for a URL with Monkey Teeth's stature, influence, and eyeballs. Howard was happy to take all the credit, but Monkey Teeth was Jacqueline. Working there was the holy grail for Mary. I thought Jacqueline was a goddess. She was everything I wanted to be. And Howard, well, he did have a charm. He didn't seem lecherous. He said he liked my writing. I was stupid, naive enough to think he was interested in me. Mary was hired and instantly became intoxicated by her new job. The office was a Soho paradise, a dot-com dream complete with wide-open workspaces, exposed brick, catered lunches, an open Uber tab, and gourmet coffee flowing like wine. Mary didn't mind the incredibly long hours, especially since she was staying in an uptown YWCA in a bunk bed where her legs dangled over the side. We all felt like we were at the center of the universe. We were breaking our own web traffic records every day, and everyone gave us products and comped us at plays and restaurants. It's crazy, but it wasn't until I met Lena that I realized the whole place was just women. Really young, attractive women. It was jailbait fucking central. Every old perv's dream. Well, Howard's perv dream. At four foot eleven in heels, Lena Barrett barely came up to Mary's chest. She was foul-mouthed, wisecracking, and street smart. Everything Mary wasn't. Lena thought she'd talked her way into a job because of a great pitch. She'd started a kiosk in the Smith Haven Mall where she sold food in tubes that she said geo-targeted different biochemical response centers of the brain. 
A salmon egg concoction she said was high in serotonin and helped depression. A meaty cheese spread she claimed was high in dopamine and helped with memory. Well, you get the idea. Maybe it was bullshit. Maybe it was psychotropic nonsense. But people were eating it up, literally. Let's just say I'm persuasive. I can talk anyone into anything. But the fuckwad food court health inspector busted me. Lena's kiosk was shut down and she was heavily fined by the USDA. But based solely on her original truth-stretching brain chemistry food business, Lena was hired on the spot as a science and wellness correspondent for Monkey Teeth. But she no longer deludes herself that it was her fast talking that got her the job. It's not what comes out of your mouth Howard cares about. And that day, I was wearing an admittedly distracting leather miniskirt. Gee, I wonder why I got the job. There wasn't a straight male on the entire staff. Mary and Lena became inseparable. Lena and I were city mouse and country mouse. She was smart and funny and entrepreneurial and, and fun. Lena showed me the city. We'd party after work, flirting and taking full advantage of all the swag we got at the office. I'd had this ball and chain boyfriend in Lafayette, so I was loving the freedom and lack of mansplaining in the office. Mary eventually left the bunk at the YWCA and started spending every night at Lena's mother's house with her in Bayshore, Long Island. It was on the Long Island Railroad one morning, on their way into work, that they met the person who would become the most important operative in the bizarre plot none of them would have ever predicted was in their future. We were laughing our asses off about something, and this stuffy-looking princess kept looking over at us. We thought she was giving us the stink eye, and that was making us laugh even harder. Whereas Mary and Lena were hustling to make their own way in the world, June March had been born into pure privilege. The only child of a CEO of an obscenely powerful privately held company with secret government military contracts valued in the billions. She'd grown up in the 1% of the 1%. In her typical fearless way, Lena looked at her and said, what are you looking at? Despite her wealth, June had a surprising reserve of self-awareness. Honestly, I didn't know what I was looking at. I mean, they were loud and obnoxious, but likable at the same time. <laughs> Strange, right? I'll never forget what she said. She went, what am I looking at? It takes a lot to shut me up, but that did it. The chill quickly melted. And by the time the three stepped onto the platform at Penn Station, cell phone numbers had been exchanged and plans to get together had been made. They were fun. I mean, it wasn't like I was slumming. You know, I knew I needed friends outside of my social circle. And yeah, I know how pretentious that sounds, but I don't know. They just seemed free. Cool jobs, eyes wide open, figuring out life on their own terms. Just, just different planet from my world. Mary, why do you think you guys hit it off so well? June's hard to describe. She's magnetic. 
You don't just see her confidence, you feel it. Like, everything she said was preordained. Meant to be. June had grown up on a gilded cloud. Yachts, private planes, prep schools, even a security detail at times. One other detail that must be mentioned. June's stunningly beautiful. As if it wasn't enough that she was richer than God and had solid gold confidence, she was so naturally goddamn perfect. People turned their heads when she walked by. Men and women. Literally, she turned heads. June never had friends like Mary and Lena, and those two certainly had never known anyone remotely like her. Yet, there was an undeniable connection between the three of them. We had this bizarre chemistry. We clicked into this groove and just, I don't know, we just <laughs> glided. The three began meeting regularly for drinks and dinners. For June, Mary and Lena were an infusion of pure oxygen into the rarefied air she'd been breathing her whole life. And like photosynthesis, Mary and Lena breathed in the pure air June seemed to emanate from her every pore. They marveled at the imperviousness of privilege and unstated power that came from her every glance. And it didn't hurt that June picked up every tab. The graduate of a prestigious business school, June had a high-ranking job in cybersecurity at her family's company. Then one night, after too many kamikaze shots, June invited Mary and Lena back to her apartment. I sobered up the minute I stepped foot into the lobby. Park Avenue Posh. It was stepping into an alternate universe. Walking into her apartment, man, it was like walking into a fucking rainbow or jet stream or an orgasm or something. Suffice it to say, it was a nice fucking place. June had a private elevator that opened up right into the apartment. Mary, were you intimidated? Um, yeah, I was intimidated. Crazy intimidated. Views, fireplaces, high ceilings, staircases. But that wasn't even the crazy part. This was the duplex. Her parents lived in the triplex in the same building. It was nuts. So why was it such a big deal to bring them to your place? I'd brought friends, you know, not stupid rich friends, back to my place before, and it had effectively ended the friendships. It's um intimidating for people. It changes how people look at you. That's kind of a weird position to be in, almost having to apologize for living so well. Yeah, woe is me, right? But, you know, they were chill. Overwhelmed, but not obsequious. I was impressed. That night they crashed over and they kind of never left. The friendship grew. For the three of them, it was a taste of life on the other side. But more than that, it was simply three girlfriends working and playing hard, having the time of their life. The three felt empowered, sharp, and dangerous. So much so that Mary came up with a nickname for the team. The Trident. A three-pronged, razor-sharp spear slicing through New York City like Poseidon. A Trident. Mary and June were always talking about literature and mythology, but I just loved being part of a team. I loved being a prong in the trident. June made keys for her friends, and soon Lena and Mary were calling June's $25 million duplex home. They stopped going to Lena's mom's. The trident felt inseparable, 
and invincible. We had a blast working hard and partying and laughing, laughing, laughing. But it wasn't long before the laughter stopped. Coming up on episode two of The Trident. I thought, man, this is it. I'm going to have a show on HBO and my life was going to be set. Howard sets the trap and the spring snaps squarely down on Mary. He took my coat like I was royalty. I was exciting, unsuspecting. The wounds were so fresh and I felt so horrible that it happened to Lena when I could have warned her. I could have spared her. And later, June sets a trap of her own. Get away from me, Howard! I'm warning you! Oh, you're warning me! Another 10 seconds, and in his crazed fury, he would have had me. That's on the next episode of The Trident. The Trident was written, directed, and edited by Scott Firestone for the original podcast, Pod Dreams. The role of June March was performed by Laura Faye Smith. Julia Brandy Polchin played Lena Barrett, and Jessica Liz Adams played Mary Davidson. The role of Howard Black was played by Scott Firestone. Corey Landis played the reporter, and the role of the narrator, Natalie Burnish, was played by me, Brittany Grable. The Trident is a work of fiction and a production of Pod Dreams. Any resemblance to actual events or persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. For more stories of aspiration and wish fulfillment, visit poddreams.com. Pod Dreams.